Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 637 of The Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, we've got music and a chat with Bethan Wynne Davis, finding out about not only her solo stuff, but also some of the other things she's been up to over lockdown, including some interesting telly work. Sean Wallace joins us. You'll know him from The Chase. He is one of the chasers. Having a chat with him about friendship and the importance of friendship throughout the time we've had, and the group Oddfellows, who will also help you make friends too. On top of that, we'll be joined by Dr. Hilary Jones as we talk about the importance of getting early cancer diagnosis as is necessary. We've got a book series to talk about as we find out about Once Upon a Time in the Black Country from Thomas J.R. Dern. And on top of that, we're also talking recycling with Beyond the Box. That's all on the way on the show this week. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in the Black Country is a 1950s set gangster novel. Thomas J.R. Dern is the man behind it. Tom to his friends who joins me now. Hello, sir. Good morning, Jason. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. And yourself? I'm all good, thank you. So tell us a bit about how this book came to be. Well, it, it started off not even as a book, really. I'm, I've got quite a, a vivid imagination. And a few years ago, I, I remember I was uh, driving through, I can't it was, it was I was, I was coming from Brown Hills, dropping my son off with his mom, and I was driving through the black country, and it was snowing. Remember, we had that snow, was, I don't know, three or four years ago. Mm. I was stuck in traffic and a bit bored, and there was this old Christmas music going, like 1940s, Franks and Arts or something. And I just suddenly put myself in this world, which was, I don't know, it, it's in my head, and it kind of developed from there. And at first, it was never going to be a book. And then I thought, oh, I, I could write this down. And, and, and you know, I've never, I've never been an author before. I've never had a desire to be, you know, I'm going to be an author. I just thought, I'm going to write this down and see what happens. And then it started to unfold in, into a story and then a novel. And it kind of went from there, really. Well, I mean, that in itself is uh, yeah, it's, it's a great way of, of having something develop, isn't it? When it's a germ of an idea that becomes something, actually, it's a natural evolution and it's not forced. And I think that is probably going to be a big help for you telling this story. That's, that's right. I mean, it was probably 12 months at least before I actually started putting it down on paper and thought, you know what, this is a book. It was just a fantasy world, really, really that, you know, because I'm a musician, that's what, what, that's what proper job you could call it. So I, I like all that kind of 40s, 50s music, I like cars, I've got a classic car myself. Um, it, it was kind of like an imaginary world that became uh, a story and then, then, then a book. So when you're telling the tale, who, who is the centre of it? And, and is there anything uh, maybe a little autobiographical in there? Or, is, or how do you tell this tale? It definitely started off that way. I mean, um, there's three books out now, so the fourth one's out soon. Uh, and it's kind of evolved from the, the original character was a guy called Harry Scriven, who was, I mean, I'm not a gangster or anything like that. I'm not a criminal or a violent nutter, which uh, Harry Scriven is. <laughs> but he's, he's kind of... That was autobiographical from the point of view that he was someone stuck in a world that he didn't necessarily want to be in. And he was trying to find a way out. Whereas his 
cousin, uh, Billy Mucker, who is another key uh, character in the story, was also kind of autobiographic, biographical, but he was like another side of that. He was kind of the bad guy, but a, a, a bad guy with a moral compass. So he, you know, he's like, like the old Westerns, you know, the, the Pin Teeks were characters, when they're kind of, there's like a grey area, they're good, but they're bad. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got Billy Mucklow on the kind of bad side, and then Harry's kind of the good guy, and they kind of come together, and it, it was quite autobiographical. And it's also interesting to explore these characters and see where you can go with them, because you may pick up some of your own personality traits and use them in the book, but then it's seeing where you could go with that, with the, the imagination that's thrown in as, as well. So, you know, it, it must be quite good fun writing this and exploring an area that you know as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, with regards to the characters, everybody in the book is somebody I know. Um, not personality-wise, but when I'm... Because on general, there's four central characters across the the novel so far who are kind of written from my perspective, and everyone else is is based on someone I know. I mean, only visually, so that when I'm writing the book, I've got the the, the guy in in the book called Dickie Hickman, and he is based on a close friend of mine, Uh, not personality wise, but but just when I'm thinking of him, that's who I've got in my head. So I can actually sort of play out in my, in my mind exactly how that, that is happening so it makes it easier to describe. And once you've got that image of somebody, uh, you're using that then to, to shape the way they'd react in this 1950s mobster world. And, and when it comes down to using locations in the black country, have you got like a, a base that uh, they all sort of spread out from or are you enjoying bringing different bits of our region in? They're mainly parts that I'm very familiar with. So my family background is from kind of Prager Heath, Raleigh Region area, Hello. Uh so that's the centre Prager Heath is kind of the centre Old Hill, Hayden Hill. That is the centre of things, but also I work for quite a while in Tipton, so Tipton comes into the story. Um so it, it is from like Wolverhampton's in the story. They're places that are familiar to, to me. Uh, a lot of pubs, I don't know what that says about where I've been. <laughs> but uh, it's, I think it's better to describe them if you know the place in detail, really. Because um, I say my family back from there, my grandparents are still alive. So I'd go to play, me and my granddad would have been probably drinking in the pubs I'm writing in, in the 50s. So it's nice to be able to speak to people, look at old photographs and... Uh, and write about places that I know. Mm-hmm. And again, that gives you a, a bit more of a, a personality when people want to visit the area and see where the books are made. And when the film deal comes, the the locations are there. Well, that's it, yeah. I mean, there's on the, the social media, there have been people talking about that they want to, they've been in the pubs. I mean, I don't know if people have, have been going in the pubs mentioned because of the book, or, but yeah, the location is there if there is ever a film. Should be nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, fingers crossed we'll see that. And we know who's going to be able to do the music behind it as well, with the array of guitars that you have behind you. I'm sure yeah. that, that will work rather nicely. And uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's an extension of your creative world. But what, by the sense of things, you hadn't necessarily ever expected. No, no. First and foremost, I've always seen myself as a guitar player. Um, I never set out. I, mean, I did uh, my degree was in music. I worked as a teacher for a few, quite a few years. And I never intended to, to go into writing. I just had this idea and I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll write it. It will probably just be for my own amusement or maybe my wife will read it or her you know, family. But um, it, 
uh, I managed to, to get it published and it's I've sold thousands of copies and people are really it's really good feedback. People are really enjoying it, which was not expected, but it, it's wonderful. No, it sounds good to me. And uh, you say so you're three books into the series. Yes. So what happens now? Is there a, is there a fourth in the offing? Yeah, well, it, the, so there's once the time in the back country part one, two, and three, which are all announced currently. The next book is actually set in Spain, so it's called Costa del Criminal. <laughs> uh, so it's actually not really anything to do with the black country apart from it's the same characters who are now in Spain in the 1980s so it's kind of came on a little bit but that's the next book which will be out in September and then after that before Christmas I've got another book coming out which is called Once Up Time in the Black Country 1934 which again the same characters were set in 1934 so the intention now is to not keep going on with one one time back up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They're going to be uh, sort of different years. And the one after that might be once upon a time in the country, 1925 or 1970. You know, I'll choose random. Yeah, different points in the, in the history. And so you've already met the characters in the 50s, so taking it back to the 30s, you get to see how they developed to become the people that they are that shaped that, that life. And it, but doing it this way around as well, rather a cunning writer's plot, you've been able to work out where they're going to before you then explain how they got there. So that's a bit sneaky, but very well done, sir. Thank you. It wasn't intentional. Um, when I sat down and wrote the first book, that was, I didn't think I'd ever write before because it, it was so popular, I thought, you know, I'll do a second. Uh, and the second was actually a prequel and a sequel in, in one book. Um, so some of the characters from the 40s have already been introduced. So the, 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 the fifth book will be exploring sort of the parents of Billy Muckler is a central character in the first book. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, a, a good body of work that you've got that you're building up there. As I say, this sounds absolutely the right sort of thing for either a, a, a several TV miniseries uh, or possibly even, let's say, a, a number of films, depending on how you, 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 the, the budget works out. That would be absolutely brilliant to see. Fingers crossed we get a movie studio pick you up fairly soon. We, yeah, you just get the book in the front of the right person at the right time. This is going to be big, isn't it? Well, I hope so. I mean, there's always... I think I'd like to say is a lot of people say to me, oh, it's Peaky Binders, you're ripping off Peaky Binders, or you're just, you're copying that. I actually started writing this book before I, I have seen Peaky Binders, but I started writing this well before I uh, ever watched an episode of Peaky Binders. I think because it's, I mean, obviously that's set in Birmingham, but the kind of the Midlands gangster historical thing will always get compared to kind of Peaky Binders. But I wrote this well before I'd ever even... Uh, watched an episode of Peaky Blinders. I, I like Peaky Blinders, but it, it's, uh, it wasn't influenced so mm. much by well, that. Certainly working in the 50s is a very different tale. Maybe uh, you, you know, you, there's, there's a sort of crossover in time periods from your uh, earlier rights, but uh, that's something for the future and has been born out of uh, your 50s through 80s experience. Well, it's all going to be good. Where do we get hold of the books, both in real life and digitally? Well, we're available uh, on Amazon to order, and you can order an ebook copy on there, just £1.99, downloadable to your device. You can uh, download it to your phone, uh, you can read it on there with a free app. Uh, if you've got a Kindle, great, computer, anything like that, or, or also you can order uh, paperback copies. That's, you can see it there, that's uh, the third book, which is out at the moment, uh, which will get sent to the post. And also in the Mary Hill Centre, there's a Black Country Hall. Uh, there's, um, there's books available there as well.
Okay, so yeah, <coughs> nip along to the Mary Hill Centre, Black Country Hub, or just search for Thomas J R Dern D E A R N, and you'll be able to get a hold of that uh, online as a purchase or via the Kindle store as well. Easy ways of enjoying some brilliant stuff set in the fifties onwards and backwards and around plus a trip to Spain on the way. Who doesn't like a good holiday on the Costa del anywhere? So that's uh, going to be well worth a look. Tom, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. With more than half of over 60s saying the pandemic has made them value friendships more than ever, it's a time to maybe think about who we're chatting with and how warmly we want to get on. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Jane Nelson, CEO of The Oddfellows, one of the UK's biggest and oldest friendly societies, and also by TV presenter and chaser Sean Wallace. Good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon, Jason. So, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm going to go straight to Sean because, I mean, you're not exactly renowned for being the friendliest of dispositions on the chase, are you? No, I'm not paid to be friendly on the chase, but um, once the cameras stop rolling, then that's a different uh, proposition altogether. It's good to be able to get on with the contestants, and everyone has a bit of a laugh on shows like that, don't they? They do, and as I say, so far as the contestants are concerned, they, you know, whilst we're playing the show, you know, they've got to use all their means at their best disposal to try and put me off. But once the cameras stop rolling... I'll always go and see the contestants afterwards, whether they win or lose, because uh, I think it's very, very important. Absolutely. And when it comes down to, to friendships and things, I mean, it is something that we have built up. And uh, I, I know that you kept in touch with your quizzing community during the lockdown. I certainly did. But more importantly, I kept in contact with my uh, real friends, if I can put it that way. Friends which I've grown up with, friends which I've forged uh, 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 long-term friendships uh, over the past 50 or so years. Uh, because those are the type of friends which kept me uh, going, uh, that kept me sane, which uh, are there to pick me up when I'm down, which are there to sort of cheer me from the uh, rafters uh, on the sidelines. Those are the type of friends which I value the most uh, in terms of the loyalty they've given me, the trust, respect, uh, and the reliability. Uh, and those are the four important ingredients which I place in a friendship. Whether I've known that person for a day, or I've known them uh, virtually all my life. And, and it is uh, sort of friendships that you can build on. You can feel good about knowing someone, someone to have a chat with about anything that comes along and somebody who isn't going to judge. Exactly. Uh, true friends are never judgmental. True friends will always tell you where, uh, uh, what it is. They, you know, they're not there to actually sort of massage or pander your ego. And I don't want that from my true friends. Mm-hmm. They will tell me what it is. Uh, and I will accept any sort of criticism or advice or constructive advice from friends who've always got your best interests at heart. And Jane, when it comes down to the old fellows, I mean, how long have you guys been going? Uh, we started in 1810, so well over 200 years now of basically making friends and helping people. Uh, this is our 12th year of Friendship Month in September, where we focus all the attention on making friends and bringing new people into the Oddfellows family through a variety of what is now for 2021 going to be a mixture of face-to-face events for those people who are ready to come out and for online events who maybe are going to be slower to emerge from the pandemic because as we know we're all going to come out of this at a different pace mm-hmm. but I think you know events and, and friendship which has been as the, as the survey says really focus people's mind during uh, the pandemic in terms of what's important to us. I think it's also an important aspect of everybody's health and well-being as well, Mm -hmm. that, you know, friends are really, really important. And I think that the isolation that we've lived in for 18 months has just highlighted what should be important and what, as Sean and I were saying earlier on, uh, needs to 
continue forward and not go back to maybe that um, uh, way that we maybe forgot people in the past and actually things have become much more important to us in different priorities post-pandemic. Yeah, and uh, when it comes to it as well, I mean, the pandemic has helped in some ways, even more than you could imagine, because people have been having conversations over FaceTime and Zoom and all these different devices. I mean, how to keep in touch with people they haven't been able to keep in touch with before go a bit further afield. Absolutely. You know, and and even people who um, haven't previously used um, any of those methods. I mean, my mum, who's nearly 82, uh, she was Zooming us because we got it set up and we did it in such an easy way, which meant we could see her and speak to her every day rather mm-hmm. than just on the phone and she could see it. And it makes a massive, it made a massive difference to people mm-hmm. who could actually see um, and some of the online events. And Sean was talking earlier about quizzes. You know, we've got a, a, a member who lives up in Aberdeen and her nearest Oddfellows branch is miles and miles away. But she came to so many online events. She's now got friends all around the country. And yeah, she's loving it. Yeah, it is a really good way of working these things. Again, Sean, we mentioned quizzes there. Most people are not going to want to be on an opposing quiz team to you, are they? So I suppose you get to be quiz master in your group of circle of friends, I'm going to guess. Sometimes, um, as I said, although yesterday I'll go, I'll go to my sort of weekly pub quiz uh, in Highgate called the Prince of Wales, which is probably one of the best uh, uh, quiz events, uh, uh, weekly quiz events uh, in London, I'd say. So I'm not necessarily the quiz master, I take part in a quiz. Uh, so that's my way of sort of keeping myself match fit by sort of uh, either answering questions correctly or remembering the questions which I don't remember. But it's a, it, again, it's a way of, um, it's fantastic because we haven't quizzed together and the space of about 18 months. So now that uh, the pandemic is virtually um, lifting off the horizon and uh, we're getting back to the near normal, it's really good to have that sort of face-to-face com- uh, uh, contact with people who are I love and respect when it comes to quizzing. Again, friendship is that person who you've mentioned isn't going to judge, isn't going to do anything other than just be there for you. Will tell you if you need if they if they need to mention something to you, but not in a judgy way. It's always with warmth and love, and and that's yeah what it's about. And it's about having that in, in the feeling. And if I, I think it's like twenty two percent of people made friends with a neighbour. Now, unfortunately, my neighbours on one side, it's not possible to make friends because they're a bit weird. But uh, <laughs> you know, we we, we all have uh, yeah, we've all got these crosses to bear. But it's, if we can reach out, it's worth doing, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think neighbour. You know, if you go back a, a few decades, then neighbours always looked out, out for each other, but maybe that was lost. But I think the pandemic has really made people think about who lives next door and who lives opposite and are they on their own? And do they need somebody to just say, are you OK? And actually show that they care. And I think that's a really important thing that's come out of it. Yeah, and no, I think that's something that I've tried to do, and even with the weird ones. And uh, we'll continue <laughs> to try and do that. Uh, Sean, do you get on with your neighbours or are they, are they mostly trying to oh, catch you up with trivia questions? Yeah. Yeah, we uh, um, shared, you know, I've got a sort of a green bin, so if I cut my grass and they haven't got one, they can dump their stuff in my grass. Sometimes I, I never used to have a line as to hang my washing on their line, so uh, we, we get on really, really well. But to put, uh, make this a very, very important point, as we come out of uh, uh, the uh, lockdown and we sort of uh, reconnect uh, with friends and people or try to forge new relationships, the one thing we must keep in mind always is this. Let's not step into a sense of complacency. Let's maintain this uh, a sense of uh, community friendship, community spirit, mm-hmm. community contact. Let's not think, God, oh, because we're back to normal. You know what? Guess what? I, I, I'm not really interested. We must remember uh, what we almost lost. Absolutely.
Yeah, I'll continue to do that, continue looking out for people. I'm sure you guys will too, as the society that is that the Odd Fellows do. And uh, how do we find out more, Jane? Okay, so for anybody who's interested in looking at either the face-to-face -face or the online events we've got throughout, then go to www.friendshipmonth.com, search for Odd Fellows events, uh, or call uh, 0800 28 18 10, and there you can find all the events that are planned throughout September and on our website for events that carry on October onwards. Yep, so uh, friendshipmonth.com. You've also got oddfellows.co.uk. On the socials, you are oddfellowsuk. And, and, and Sean, you're all over the socials as well. If you want to be friendly and say hi to you, how do we do that? Uh uh, Twitter, um, you, know, you can always contact me on my uh, Twitter page, uh, my Facebook page. Uh, you know, I've got uh, loads of followers and uh, the more the merrier, actually. And it's my way of connecting with people who have helped make me the person I am today. And uh, as I say, we're all one big sort of Twitter happy family on the Sean Wallace Facebook page. Absolutely. The Sean Wallace is who you're looking out for. There is only one. He yeah, is absolutely amazing. Well, for now, Sean Wallace and Jane Nelson of The Odd Fellows, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Jason. Thank you. Somebody I met when she was appearing at the Grand Theatre in Pantomime is Bethan Wynne-Davis. And amazing as she was on stage in Panto, she does so much more other stuff on top of that, including occasional telly appearance too. And she joins me now on the way to a gig. Good day to you. Hello, hello. Multitasking as always. Well, this is it. I know. I'm glad we've got you. You were stationary when you set the camera up, but you've had to keep moving. So uh, that's the way. This is the life of being on the road, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you as a performer, you have to be wherever you're needed to be, and uh, this can be anywhere, the length and breadth of the country. Uh, yeah, or I mean, even abroad sometimes, um, which is probably not so common at the minute. Um, but yeah, definitely across the UK, it's quite uh, quite nice though because you get to see different places. And before we go to what you're up to at the minute, I can't I can't yeah. help but talk about the I can see your voice thing that you did, which was really good. Yeah, I was lucky. Um, well, I say I was lucky, but I mean, as you know, like I posted well, over lockdown, I was just sort of thinking, well, what can I do um, during this time? And the only thing I really thought of doing, obviously, is working alongside everything, was to um, just give everything my all on social media and to try and build a bit of a fan base and things during that time. And, there was a lot of people going on things. There was a couple of Facebook groups called like Rock the Lockdown and stuff like that that I joined. Um, and just trying to keep like live in the spirit during lockdown, really. And a lot of people turned to musicians and live music online and we were streaming and things. Um, so I was posting literally every day on Facebook, Instagram, social media sort of platforms. And off the back of that, somebody spotted me and asked me whether I'd be interested in going to Scout for... Um, Back of it, you know, gain some traffic for my own music. So that's the plan, really. 
Yeah, and uh, of course you've got singles out there and we're going to be listening to something that uh, you have produced in a short while's time. But uh, so it, it was a good fun, good TV show. And I'm sitting there watching it and going, because you, 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 no you don't really know who it is. And, I, and I, it's sort of dawning on me. I know her. And uh, we're Facebook friends. What's going on? Because uh, the, the interesting bit is the number of singers who have been on who I am actually Facebook friends or are friends of friends. Absolutely phenomenal, because it, it, they've chosen, as you say now, uh, a great selection of, uh, of social media performers who are absolutely awesome, and uh, it, it's been a good giggle being part of. But it's so, a good exposure, and it ties in alongside everything else that you, that you do as well, and uh, it just, just brings home the fact that you have got a phenomenal voice, which... Uh, you, oh, thank you. Yeah, but, we know, we know that, but, but you're also such good fun. I mean, having done panto and done the performances there, you have to be an all-rounder when you do anything like that. So, uh, you know, it, it is brilliant to see you doing so well, and I'm really pleased that we've got you know, so much work out there from you at the moment. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's... it's I mean, uh, the show was, was obviously a lovely opportunity, really, but actually it's just been off the back of just plugging and plugging and plugging on social media. It's a business in itself, um, and it takes a lot of living, and obviously there's no return on it in terms of money. Um, you know, you're doing it off the back to kind of get exposure and to get you to work. So it is a bit of a gamble, but sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. And that's very much what the show was for me as well. Because um, to be honest, it was the wrong sort of show in terms of a long-term investment. You know, if I wanted to gain, uh, I don't know, like tens of thousands of followers and stuff, you need to be on stuff like The Voice or X Factor, you know, where people are investing in, in you like, on a long-term basis. Now, I only really had probably three minutes of airtime, but it was still nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'm just grateful. Tell me about the songwriting then, because this is something that uh, you've, you've spent plenty of time honing as well. Yeah, I mean, as you know, like my background's in theatre um, and work was sort of drying up, obviously, just before COVID happened and then COVID happened. And I've always been writing alongside everything, but never really had the time or. Um, I guess I was always kind of going 50-50 between musical theatre and my passion. And if I'm not saying that musical theatre is my passion, but, you know, my heart is in my own music. It's jazz and blues and soul, and there's so much more that I'm really interested in other than theatre. Um, and to be honest, it's probably where I feel most at home. So I've never really, I don't know anyone in the music industry, uh, you know, all my contacts sort of musical theatre based. Um, so I really felt like I was, going in a deep end with it, um, not really knowing anything about it, but because I had the time, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, kind of now or never, um, I'd written, I've written about like 60, 70 songs, but I'd never really produced them, I dabbled in like stuff with other producers, um, but it gave me the space and it gave me the time to just rein in and concentrate on my own music and just get it to, you know, what I wanted it sound like and, um, yeah, but it's just such an investment, you know, when you're independent. Um, it's just such a long-term investment because, you know, you, you, you think of all your assets and stuff. You've got to get your photos done, your videos done, your production done, and your marketing campaign. Before you know it, you know, you're a couple of grand in deep and like, <laughs> not getting the investment back. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's a gamble and um, everything is online these days and, you know, musicians are getting spotted from streams and, Spotify editorial playlists and things like that of kind of where where you know the opportunity is now. Yeah, well, whilst it's two strings to your bow, it's something you, you can do. Obviously, you've got uh, work which is uh, you do quite a bit of corporate stuff as well, don't you? I know. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my uh, I, know, I hate to say bread and butter, but um, yeah, I'm up and down the country doing 
doing corporate wedding functions. And um, it's nice, you know, I've got a couple of wedding spots down in London, so um, I'm there twice a week, and then sort of up here and there and everywhere, depending if I've got a wedding or something, whatever. Um, and it's nice, you know, it, it, it still allows me to have the freedom to, when you're a one-man band, you, you know, you're not catering to another person, you're, you're still doing your own style, and I, I don't know whether you follow my covers and stuff, but I always like to change things up a bit, so I never really get bored of singing mm-hmm. the same song. Um, so yeah, I don't mind it, but it's, still, it's still nice, and it's obviously nice to, to meet clientele and future clientele off the back of it. Well, so you've got that amazing voice, you've got the musical songwriting talent, uh, you're an amazing performer, you can act. Uh, do you do D-dance as well? Are you the full triple threat? I, oh, I started off as a dancer, yeah, but I wouldn't... I mean, I still obviously dance, but I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not a... I, I wouldn't classify myself as a really strict dancer. I can definitely move, but I wouldn't say I'm a dancer. <laughs> so, but there, I mean, performers out there, you, if you've got a competition from Bethan, you've got competition full stop. That's the way it's going to be. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, is there anything else that you're you know, working to get towards at the minute? Is your agent currently looking at getting into a, a big tour, or are you happy doing what you're doing at the moment? To be honest, auditions have been uh, sort of quite slow, obviously, this year due to the nature of everything. Um, I probably have had like maybe two or three auditions this year. Uh, I mean, I, I haven't shut the door on theatre, of course. If the right opportunity came along, I would still love to do it. Um, but, you know, I think now more than ever, there's a lot of other things that come in, into the equation, especially when they need the money and stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I haven't shut, it on, shut the door completely. I'd still love to do it. But um, for me, I kind of like to have a little more control of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I try and look for my own work, basically. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, you've got that music out there. What are we going to hear? What are you going to share with us? You can stream my single Get to Know You if you would like. Um, yeah, that'll be amazing. We will take a listen to that. Uh, so, uh, you've mentioned the fact you're all over the socials. Give us all the details. Uh, so, I'm at Beth and Win Music on Instagram, Facebook, um, etc. Um, on Beth and Win on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, yeah, just look for a, a photo of me in a bed of marshmallows, and that's me. <laughs> 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 okay, okay, and Win is W Y N. So, uh, yeah, Beth and Win, and uh, you will be able to find some amazing music from a very, very, very talented performer. If you haven't seen uh, Bethan's episode of. Uh, the, uh, the, the the I can see your voice. Make sure you dig that out. I was bound to be lurking around on iPlayer still somewhere, or at least on the internet. And uh, uh, great to, to to see what you've done and how you've made it uh, uh, work for you over the lockdown period. Continued success is something I wish you. I was to suggest we also uh, break a leg whenever you are out there and doing your stuff on stage. Have a fantastic time, and we look forward to more from you in the near future. Amazing, thanks, Jason. Take care. above my waistline don't fool nobody i can see for sure check me out in your own time whilst i'm here i like to take things slow put on my flirt a little stare at those eyes a little keep you wanting more before you file a pistol i like to go to town may have some fooling around but this one thing i know and i like to get to know you i like to get to know you boy slow down and let me show you 
Cause I like to get to know ya, boy Don't be racing to the finish line Check my pulse, steady as a drum drum Keep cool, I'm not wasting your time Don't worry, you're not under my thumb Put on my flirt a little, stare at those eyes a little Keep you wanting more before you fire the pistol I like to go to town, may have some fooling around But there's one thing I know, I like to get to know ya I like to get to know ya, boy Slow down and let me show ya Cause I like to get to know ya, boy I like to get to know ya I like to get to know ya, boy Slow down and let me show ya Cause I like to get to know ya, boy More than half of people saying they wouldn't visit their GP with cancer symptoms because they're embarrassed. We need to do something to turn that trend round to make sure cancer is detected early. So that's more. I'm joined now by Dr. Trevelli and Dr. Hilary Jones. Good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon. First of all, Hilary, give us a bit of the background to this survey, please. Well, the survey was very interesting. It's been conducted by NHS England as part of their campaign, Help Us Help You. And uh, we particularly are interested in people's attitudes to abdominal and neurological cancers right now. These account for 44% of all cancers in England and 41% of all deaths. And here's the thing, 74% of people said they didn't want to tell friends and family about their symptoms, suspicious of cancer, because it might worry them. 50% of people, as you said, uh, feel embarrassed about seeing their GP uh, about such symptoms or that they might be wasting their GP's time. And 71% said they'd only go along and see their GP if they thought it was probably something serious, and yet a third of them didn't know what serious symptoms meant. So there's a job to be done in raising awareness about cancer symptoms affecting the tummy, the tummy area, and getting people to, to go along and talk to their GP about it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know my, my dad's had a, a bit of a journey getting to the point where he's had a, a diagnosis. He's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, unfortunately, and there isn't anything they're able to do at this time for, for him. Uh, but it, it's it's something which it, he's had symptoms. He's spoken to the doctor, but sometimes it can be a bit difficult. And it has been difficult over the last 18 months getting the message across and, and, and maybe even seeing your doctor to talk it through. Things are changing. We need to make sure that we don't end up with a huge backlog of cancers because of coronavirus and COVID and that people do make sure they are talking to somebody. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The symptoms we're mainly talking about would be uh, abdominal discomfort or diarrhoea lasting more than three weeks and any blood in in your pee, Uh, even just once. If you've got these symptoms, go and see your GP. Up to now, because of the pandemic, uh, certainly in the early stages of the pandemic, people were reluctant to go and talk about uh, these symptoms or go and see the GP because of COVID. Now, all that's changed. We're managing COVID much better. We've got it under control. We're managing it. And the cancer as an issue is being prioritised by the NHS immensely. Uh, Since March of last year, we've seen 380,000 people um, getting their treatment within 21 days of of their diagnosis after the decision's been made. We've got COVID-19 secure cancer hubs in hospitals. It is secure and safe to go and see your GP and get the investigations that need to be done because earlier the diagnosis the earlier the diagnosis is made the more treatment options you have and the better the outcome will be and adaksha uh, you are somebody who has had esophageal cancer uh, explain what happened to you and how you came to get your diagnosis yes so um in my case my twin brother had died of advanced esophageal cancer which had advanced to his stomach and it was inoperable and he actually it was too late by the time he saw his physicians mm-hmm. So six months after he sadly died, I was diagnosed with the same cancer. Um, I had symptoms of mild bloating. I had discomfort in my abdomen, um, diarrhea. Again, I had sort of mild symptoms, but they were unusual for me. Um, And uh, I decided to see my GP and talk to my GP. Fortunately for me, my GP was also aware of my twin brother's um, cancer diagnosis and um, his cancer journey and um, his his death sadly from advanced cancer so she acted very quickly uh, based on my symptoms as well as the family history and sent me for an endoscopy. So that endoscopy uh, basically has saved your life because it's meant you're able to get treated? Absolutely um, and again um, if I had delayed that treatment, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you because I know what my twin brother went through in terms of delaying and seeking help. Mm -hmm. Yes, in my case, I was fortunate. My cancer was aggressive, but early, and I had treatment three months after my diagnosis. I've had an esophagectomy, which means um, I've had my food pipe removed and restructured my stomach. And three years later, I'm able to do the things that I could do before. And I just cannot stress more uh, for people to, to seek advice on any of the symptoms that I experienced, but also Hillary mentioned a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And Hillary, such a, a sad loss within a family. 
raising a flag though, which meant at least the, the conversation with the GP was able to flag potential problems there. And it, it is always important to talk about family history whenever anything like this comes along. And it, it should alert us more to, to something happening to ourselves if we know it's happened to maybe one of our family members in the past. That's absolutely right. And Daksha, thank you so much for sharing your story. You look so well. I'm delighted thank that you. you've had such a good uh, outcome. Um, and, and for you to, to talk about your experience means so much more than 100 doctors, you know, talking about it because, you, you know, people will identify with you. Um, and here you are, you're, you're healthy and, and back to normal life and speaking so eloquently about this. And family history is important. Um, your, your brother's story meant that um, it was more relevant that you were investigated as quickly as possible. And the same is true with breast cancer, with, with bowel cancer, with prostate cancer. If there's, a, if there's some story in the family, it's important you tell your doctor about it. Um, and and um, it just makes it slightly more likely that there could be something suspicious going on. Yeah. As I say, these symptoms are probably nothing. In the vast yes. majority of cases, it won't be anything. Blood in the wee, for example, might be a, a cystitis, an infection. It might be a kidney stone. It won't necessarily be a bladder or a kidney cancer, but you just don't know. And it's well worth getting it checked out. Can I just add that, you know, some of the symptoms may be nonspecific and yeah. Patients might think, oh, well, it's nothing, I don't need to go. Um, but we are talking about not just three weeks or more, but also persistent. And I think, you know your body, you know something is unusual. And um, even if it means that, oh, well, I don't want to burden anyone, it's really nothing, it will go away. Do you know what? Just go and check it out. Because if there's a doubt, yes, check it out. Because I did that. And whilst my, and Hillary, you mentioned a normal life, absolutely I mean, I'm able to do things that I did before. Uh, my life has changed in the sense I don't have a food pipe uh, and my stomach is in my chest, but I'm able to change my eating and drinking habits. And I'm even more on the lookout now, you know, um, accessing healthcare, accessing my follow-ups and really uh, promoting this awareness that um, people can be where I am if, if the cancer is detected early and they seek treatment. Absolutely. It is, it is about making sure... Uh, the detection is there so the treatment can be done so things can be done i mean the various people have various screening programs and uh, i mean i've got a conditional ul ulcerative colitis uh, i'm screened every five years to make sure i don't have any cancerous polyps and uh, but equally you know it's if you have a condition and you know about it still don't treat changes as oh it's just me if it's changed get it checked absolutely that actually makes a really good point persistent symptoms don't put it down, unexplained symptoms, don't put them down to something else. A lot of people say, oh, it, it's irritable bowel syndrome. Well, you know, there's a difference uh, between irritable bowel syndrome and the sy cancer symptoms uh, in the abdomen because um, they're persistent. IBS comes and goes, uh, often dependent on stress and diet. Well, if you've got persistent symptoms, unexplained weight loss, unexplained changes of bowel habit, needs to be looked into. Uh, and, and that way, we'll see more people diagnosed early and getting a, a much better outcome. Yeah, it, it isn't the diagnosis you should be scared of. It's about not being diagnosed. Absolutely. And some additional symptoms that go with cancer of the lower esophagus is, of course, heartburn and um, reflux. And people think, oh, well, it's nothing. So... Um, although I had the bloating, the abdominal discomfort, the tummy discomfort and, and diarrhea, but, but it's just, it's very easy from, you know, as a patient, I can say that it's very easy for someone to talk themselves out of going um, to, to get themselves checked. So 
you know, the, the NHS wants to see us, as you said, Hillary, the GP wants to see, my GP wanted to see me once, she sent me for an endoscopy and I felt assured, I felt that I could get early help. And I felt very positive about my outcome when I was told it was early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, even though your investigations will have been uncomfortable, uh, the operations themselves will have been difficult to go through. Better than the alternative, absolutely. Um, the alternative. Hey, you know what? I've got my twin brother's history to tell me what the alternative would have been. Um, and you know, people, many people say that they felt overall well just with these symptoms, but after treatment, after surgery, you have to go through your recovery plan. But I am, I'm, I was delighted after a long-term sickly uh, recovery that I was, I was back in my professional work and that I was able to do the things I enjoyed before. And I do run a cancer support group to help promote awareness about early symptoms and detection. So it's going through treatment to save your life is worth it. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth, uh, you know, do not be afraid. Um, there are many patients I come across in my support group who say afraid of what they're going to find afraid what if it's cancer but if it's early there are so many treatment options absolutely and hillary uh obviously this is part of this campaign we can go for more information online and to talk to our gps but so what do we do i would go to nhs.uk forward slash cancer symptoms so check out the details there read through what's going on and although you can worry yourself looking at these things better to be worried and have it you know, turn out not to be something than think, try and push it onto the back burner and cause yourself bigger more health you know, more health impacting problems and uh, potentially sadly lose lose a life compared to just going through a little bit of discomfort to get these things put right that's right. You'll be so happy to be reassured, uh, as you almost probably and certainly will be, uh, that all is well. But just get it checked out. Cancer survivor, Dr. Trivedi and Dr. Hilary Jones, thank you both for joining us. Thanks, thank Jason. You. of us admit to being rubbish recycling relocators, admitted to knowingly throwing away recyclable items when moving house. Andy Barnetson joins me now from Beyond the Box to tell me more. Hello, sir. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Explain a bit more about this survey, because it's not only about who's throwing away what they know they shouldn't when it comes to moving house. Very true. So Beyond the Box is a small organisation that we've set up to tell people a bit more about cardboard boxes. Now, that may not sound like the most exciting thing, but we need cardboard boxes when we move house and we all use cardboard boxes when we order online. So there's a lot of it around and we need it. And and it doesn't hurt to understand just a bit more about how it's recycled. So we've done some research and September is a good time for asking about house moves because it's the, the month of the year where we have most people moving house and Mm. not least because students are off to university and so on so we've asked people when you move house what do you do about recycling and sadly as you've already said over half the people when they move house they admit to not recycling when they could they admit to throwing things away which they know should be recycled and it could be that there's important items in there which are non-wee waste items which should be recycled by your, your centre that you're specifically going to deal with maybe old electronics or electrical items. And these things have got such huge valuable resources in there, it's a disappointment. And then when it comes down to, to cardboard itself, although yes, it will rot down in landfill, we could be using that fibre again and again. We could, and, and it's much better that we do that than having it rot down in in landfill. That's really the very last resort. We don't want to do that because cardboard can be used. The fibers can be used over and over again. 
when you get a cardboard box, three quarters of it will be fibre that has already been recycled. It's probably been recycled three or four times and it will probably be recycled three or four times more. And so it's a perfect loop of recycling. Old box becomes new box. And the box that you use today could be back on shelf and it could be back in your hand in as little as two weeks. It's a really strong re recycling story. And it's, it's one whereby, if, particularly with the likes of brown cardboard, there's no bleach involved either, which is, of course, another environmental factor. Exactly. We, we, we take very seriously the all elements of the process have to be good. And the consumer just sees a box when it comes to them and then the box as it goes to recycling. But there's a whole life cycle out there beyond that where it gets broken down and it becomes new paper and becomes a new box. And at all stages, as you say, we do everything we can to minimise the environmental impact. Mm -hmm. And when we're buying things, I mean, we, yes... We can buy from something like a sustainable forest. We know that that is doing good work because it's taking carbon dioxide out of the air. But that sustainable forest paper then being recycled is, again, it's another brilliant way of making sure that we're doing the best for the planet. Yes, and, and there's lots to the story that people don't know. There's, there's no reason why they should. But the truth is that when you make a, take the paper to make a cardboard box, it's coming from the sustainable sources that you mentioned, what's called FSC and PEFC. And it means that, this, that the trees, when they're harvested, and we say that rather than cut down, they're harvested because for every one cut down, three more are planted. And when we, when we use the trees, it's very common that the trees only come down for construction or furniture applications, and the paper industry actually uses the offcuts, the sawmill waste, the thinnings. So actually, when paper industry takes trees, they're actually using someone else's waste product. So there's a lot of good stuff in there that people don't know about. And, and what they do need to understand is that recycling is important. We're all using a lot of cardboard when we move house. Not everyone's doing the recycling they should. Well, we appreciate it's a difficult time and you've got other things on your mind. But once you've had time to breathe, once you're in your new place, once you've emptied the boxes, please, please flatten them, recycle them, get them back into the system and do your bit because we need that to make sure that uh, we're all doing the best for the environment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if it means that, you know, you've got a brand new recycling bin at your new place that's already part full from the, uh, the previous uh, owners, uh, you can just drop it straight down to your local recycling centre and they'll sort it all out for you. Absolutely. And it's, it's not always the same. Some of the research also showed us that people are confused when they move house because you move to a new area or perhaps you visit your auntie at the weekend, whatever <laughs> it is. It's not the same everywhere. You don't always know what you can recycle. Different coloured bins, different types of material are collected. So we're also calling on government and local councils to be clearer and to have more consistency in their recycling. And I think that will come. But that's what we need. Clearer instructions. Let's just make it easier for everyone to do the right thing. Absolutely. And we know that the 18 through 24 year olds who are the ones going off to university colleges and moving away from home at this particular time, they are very keen to get this right. They've got they are pretty switched on, but there's still a gap, isn't there? There is. There is a gap. We found they know what they should be doing, but quite often they're not actually doing it. Quite often they admit that they can't be bothered to recycle. Well, we're here to say, please do be bothered because it is important. There are many, many things you should be doing to help the environment. Recycling is one of them. Do your bit, please. Recycle. Let's get that old box into the recycling system and let's make some new boxes. Absolutely. And again, is that, that recycled fibre, it can be used again and again. And once it comes to the end of its life, it, 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 as a box, you can use it in other ways too. Absolutely. And uh, you can reuse the box at home. Through lockdown, people were using them to make forts and to play games with the kids when they had to do the uh, uh, when the kids were at home there's all sorts of things you can do but always recycle a box is always recyclable please everybody make sure you recycle at end of life we'll take it away we'll make the new box so we can keep everything going
So where do you go for more information about Beyond the Box and the research that you do and, of course, your business as well? Very simple. We're online at cardboard.org.uk. Simple as that. I like that. Well, Andy Barnettson uh, from Beyond the Box, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Well, that's your lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 638 next week. I look forward to having you along. See you then. Throw for now. Goodbye from the mill bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the mill bar. Yeah.